Good morning. I am the speaker of Father Son Weekend because I have no sons. We are in 1 Timothy again. This book that in chapter 3 says, We write these things knowing how you should conduct yourself in the house of the Lord. Last week, we talked quickly about uh, the purpose, this, this charge that Paul is writing Timothy, a true son of the faith, this purpose of why they should teach no other doctrine and what should come out of it. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. And we talked about the differences between two types of teaching and what should be done. Uh, there was a time in my life where uh, Kim was working at a Christian school, and one of the ladies she worked with uh, came over to our house for dinner. Something came up like I was preaching on a Sunday, and she said, oh, that's right, you go to a place where they let anyone preach. I thought, well, I haven't heard that side before. Uh, Typically, like when my friends at college, you know, heard like one of us were getting a shot at preaching, they're like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Wow, yeah, that's cool. You didn't, yeah, that's great. They're giving you guys opportunity. Well, this was a different perspective. It was really funny to me. I was like, oh, you could definitely look at it that way. Like, you let anyone preach. Um, the reason I say that is um, today, the portion we're going through, um, there's a lot there kind of behind the scenes. So, in other words, we're going to talk about the law, because where I left off last week, it says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And so remember, he's saying, don't get away from healthy teaching. Don't go different from this sound doctrine, because in the whole book of Acts, you'll read about um, a lot of Jewish people saying, hey, OK, we, we, we are embracing this this kind of new stage, this church, this Christian era. We might even believe Jesus is the Messiah, but you also are going to get circumcised. Or we're going to believe Jesus is the Messiah, but you are definitely also going to, and they would list some parts of the law. And so as he's teaching this, hey, stick to this doctrine, and we talk about simplicity, underneath all of that is this kind of background of the law. And with that comes, how is someone qualified even in church. Now, it's not going to say that necessarily in this passage, but I think about this girl going, man, they let anyone preach, okay? It's very interesting. I'll kind of give you the where I'm going in the first three seconds. Paul is talking to Timothy saying, hey, make sure you're only teaching this one doctrine, and he's going to list a lot of what we call naughty sins here in my portion today. Um, and so there's this piece of Hey, you're, you're kind of saying some strong things. Well, why are you qualified then, Paul, to say all these things? Okay, because what he's kind of fighting against is a bunch of religious people saying, hey, this law can kind of measure if I'm good enough or not, which is the wrong thing, by the way. And what's interesting is that Paul's basically going to say, I'm the worst, and then list his sins. And so that was interesting to me to go, man, usually we don't do that. Like, imagine if I came up here and just like, hey, listen, you know, this week I did this, 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 and then this twice. Um, open up your Bibles. I'm going to preach. And I know that's a little different where I'm going. Um, we enjoy this when it comes to testimony time, right? 
And the idea of someone sometimes saying they were, they were caught in this part of sin or this part of the world and the Lord saved them out of that. And we give God credit for that. Those are nice stories to hear. But um, when we go through this, re remember, there's just going to be this divide that's really going to challenge us today again of going, how do we know if we're doing okay? How do we know if we measure up? It can't be the law. It can't be. So with those in mind, let's, let's start here at verse 3 again. I'm going to read down to verse 17. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, was, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecuted, and insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, um, we just want to agree again with what your eternal word says, uh, that uh, we would want you alone to be considered wise, and that honor and glory forever and ever would go to you. Thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have free access to it, that there is Bibles on our phones and Bibles in the library and uh, it's relatively easy to get your word. Help us not take that for granted. Help us to realize there's people in the world that would love your whole complete Bible, and they might not have access to it. Help us to be good stewards of what you have given us. Thank you again, Lord, for this time in First Timothy here at Brantford, that we would be a people that are into the book, that we're talking with you, we're wrestling with things, and that you might mature us um, through this book, that uh, we might bring you more glory and that you might be well pleased with us. So be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. Okay, so like I said, this verse here, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. That's kind of a, a loaded thing in some ways. If he's saying, hey, don't teach any other sound doctrine. I mean, don't teach any other doctrine um, that would have to kind of include this law, but then he's just going to, uh, pivot, I guess is that word, that we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So let's, let's dig into that. 
Okay, why is the law good? How does one even use it lawfully? Okay, the purpose of the law is to show us our sin, not to lead us to righteousness. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin, not to lead us to righteousness. So why is it good? The law shows you your need for a savior, but not the means to get saved. The law shows you your need for a savior, but not the means to get saved. Okay, turn to what might be a familiar passion, passion or passage. That's funny. Passage, Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay. The law here is considered a tutor. Okay. Here's what that word means uh, in the original. Among the Greeks and Romans, the name was applied to a trustworthy slave who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of boys belonging to the better class. The boys were not allowed so much as to step out of the house without them before arriving at the age of manhood. So basically it was a mentor. Okay, you had these dads, they were busy and they had sons, and there would be a trusted, um, someone who worked for the father, and they were basically like that mentor. These guys were right on top of these kids. They could not do anything without them knowing. They kind of had to have permission from them. And they also taught them kind of what was right and what was wrong. Okay? And that's kind of what the law did. So we remember this other argument in other letters here in the Bible where Paul is proving you can't get saved by the law because Abraham, Father Abraham, the guy that all these Jewish people loved so much, like we're coming from Abraham, he didn't even have the law yet. So how that you got to wrestle with that. And they were kind of like stuck. And remember we have those great verses that says Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's always been about faith in order to be saved. But then the law came and basically what it was was a tutor showing us our need. I didn't know it was wrong until someone put down it was wrong. Okay? There's a lot of things in life that we might even not even recognize is wrong until someone told us it was wrong. This definitely goes into your upbringing, right? If you have parents that say it's absolutely normal to curse out your teacher, you be strong, okay? The rest of the people are sitting there going, that's wrong. If you grew up in a house where your parents are saying that's right, you might not know that's wrong, okay? And so there's a, a piece here where these tutors were to tell them what was right or wrong. And that's what the law did. So in that, that is a great thing. If you're going to use the law to tell people, hey, guess what? You don't match up. And neither do I. 
Okay, I remember some of this in evangelism, really trying to bring up when you evangelize, instead of just saying how much Jesus loves you. And there's, first of all, I don't think there's like a, a specific boom, this is how you evangelize. Okay, but a crucial part of evangelism sometimes is seeing their need for I have been wrong. I have messed up. And if I have messed up, then I need a savior. And so there's a beauty in that. You don't want to go throughout your life not knowing that. Have you ever been doing something wrong and you didn't know it? And it's affecting people? And you're honest, you're like, man, I didn't even know I was upsetting people. But when you find out, you go, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I needed someone to teach me that. So that's where the, if you're using the law correctly, it's a good thing to show people our needs. By the way, we're going to get into this a little more, okay? That's okay to tell Christians, hey, what you're doing is wrong. As long as we go back to this definition, not the means to get saved, nor, by the way, not the means to somehow you got more favor with God. Okay? But if we're trying to help each other as we get, I'm getting ahead of myself, to that we're not doing these things that are contrary to healthy teaching, it's a good thing for me to tell you, hey, you know, this is what the Bible says. You shouldn't participate in this because it's going to rob you of the healthy part of where God wants to bring you. Okay, and so that's what that does. Again, let me tell you, as I've already said some of these things, what the law does not do. So we're clear. It does not lead you to righteousness. The more you realize how bowed you are, by the way, the worse it gets. You realize you can't save yourself, and it doesn't lead to righteousness. Okay, and we have talked about this many times from this pulpit, in the idea of even a believer right now, this guilt of, I keep messing up, I keep messing up. Let me try more. Or this guilt of, you know, when I read the Bible, my goodness, I thought I was kind of a bad sinner. After I read it, I was like, whew, I'm really bad. Okay? And I've always been impressed as a young man, even though I'm kind of getting older now. <laughs> okay? I remember very clearly as a young guy seeing really old guys stand up and breaking bread, talking about how bad of sinners they were sometimes, and me going, oh, come on. Like, you probably sinned once this week. And I had a list in my mind of all the things I did. And I was just going, man, what is this about these guys thinking they're bad? You know? And then I grew up, and I went, oh, yeah, no, they were, they were spot on. They were spot on. <laughs> um, the, the Bible will expose all of our wrongdoings. But again, that's okay, because all of that exposure will not lead us to being more righteous. Okay, this is the beauty of the gospel, guys. This is why Paul is saying, make sure you don't let go of this to these people in Ephesus. That when you are saved, you are righteous before the Lord. And your salvation is secure for all eternity. He's done all of it. And we can rest in that instead of trying to earn something from God, even as believers. But it is very tough. It is not, it's very simple to say, and yet we have human natures that want to just completely go against that. And that was some of this stuff with the Jewish people. Yeah, but, and they had this whole thing of, but you better follow the law. You better, because if I, if I have a list of 10 things and I can check off that I've done that, I feel good about myself. And again, you turn into your own judge instead of letting God judge you. When God looks at the 10 things I have done or not done, you know what he sees? Jesus Christ is there. He paid for it all. He's absolutely holy. That's what God sees when he looks at me. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. Go to the book. 
Okay? That's what God sees if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. He sees you as holy and perfect and righteous. Okay? And so that's, that's what he sees. All right. So, this idea then, and we might have had some of these verses um, running around um, about obeying and, and remember... Um, this is the idea of like, hey, we're no longer under the law, but under grace. Well, then can we just keep sinning? Um, it, it could be confusing during this time or even for us personally. Okay, even us personally. What about like if we're trying to just have high standards? Should a Christian not have high standards? Or, you know, do we just say, well, we can't do anything. Don't worry. I'm going to read you something else that um, I, I was reading. I thought it made a lot of sense. I don't know who wrote it. He said, many people will condemn anyone with standards, especially high standards, as being legalistic. Having standards and keeping them does not make us legalistic, and obedience does not make us legalistic. We are legalistic when we think what we do is what makes us right before God. That one was really like, ooh, that hurt a little bit. Okay? So I'll read it to you again. We're legalistic when we think what we do is what makes us right before God. And this is always that portion when you're in your own personal life of, of trying to wrestle with your sin and not doing it. And all, Your position before the Lord is, is already righteous. And now it just becomes personal between you and the Lord. And do you trust Him that it would go better for your life if you obeyed Him rather than indulge in your sin? It's a hard trust. It's hard to do. There was a great story about this idea of kind of the law or grace that I loved. It said, some years ago, Henry Ironside had a little school for young Indian men and women who came to his house in Oakland, California from various tribes of northern Arizona. One time, one of these Navajo young men of unusually keen intelligence was there. And on a Sunday evening, he went with Henry to the young people's meeting. They were talking about the epistle to Galatians and the special subject of what was law and grace. They were not very clear about it, and finally someone turned to the Indian and said, I wonder whether our Indian friend has anything to say about this. He rose to his feet and said, Well, my friends, I've been listening very closely because I'm here to learn all I can in order to take it back to my people. I do not understand all that you are talking about, and I do not think you do yourselves. But concerning this law and grace business, let me see if I can make it clear. I think it's like this. When Mr. Ironside brought me from my home, we took the longest railroad journey I'd ever took. We got out at Barstow, and there I saw the most beautiful railroad station and hotel I'd ever seen. I walked all around and saw at one end a sign, Do Not Spit Here. I looked at that sign and then looked down at the ground and saw many had spitted there. And before I think what I'm doing, I spat there myself. Isn't it strange when the sign says, Do Not Spit Here? I came to Oakland and, go and uh, went to the home of the lady who invited me to dinner today, and I'm in the nicest home I've ever been in. Such beautiful furniture and carpets, I hate to step on them. I sank into a comfortable chair, and the lady said, Now, John, you sit here while I go out and see whether the maid is dinner ready. I looked around at the beautiful pictures of the grand piano, and I walk all around these rooms. I'm looking for a sign, and the sign I'm looking for is this, Do not spit here. But I look around those two beautiful drawing rooms, and I can't find a sign like it. I think, what a pity when such a beautiful home to have people spitting all over it. Too bad they don't put a sign up. 
So I look all over that carpet, but can't find that anybody has spitted there. What a weird thing. Where the sign says, do not spit, a lot of people spit. Where there's no sign at all in a beautiful home, nobody spitted. Now I understand. The sign is law, but inside the home, it's grace. They love that beautiful home, and they want to keep it clean. They don't need a sign to tell them. I think that explains the law and grace business. I thought that was such a great story. Remember in Galatians there, it says we're no longer under a need for a tutor. When Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, the law part, that tutor part, is just like the literal word there where these men suddenly become men. They don't have a mentor after they have reached the age of manhood. Okay, We are at a stage now when Jesus Christ has come, we accept salvation um, on his behalf. And we sit there and we you know, invite him in our lives and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We no longer have to worry about signs here and signs here. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? It turns into grace of what would make my master happy. That's what it turns into. What makes the Lord happy? What makes him glorified? What I want to be the best I can for him. And how does that play out? There's a difference, guys. And that's what he's dealing with here. The law is good, but but don't stray from this fact of what Christ has done. So why are these sins so contrary? So it says there in verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless. Which again, by the way, once you're a Christian, you are righteous. Hence, the law was not made for you. We have kind of graduated, if that's a word we can use. And he lists all these things um that the law is made for and he lists them really uh you know again ungodly for the sinners unholy profane murderers of father murderers of mother and manslayers fornicators sodomites kidnappers oh he also threw in liars i love these lists in the bible i want us to just do a sidebar again we got some murderers some some sexual deviants oh and liars if you don't think lying is a big deal, look at the list it's with. Okay? If I sat there and said, by accident, I killed two people this week, you'd probably go, huh, what? Okay? If I said, hey, by the way, I did these sexual 18 perversions, you'd be like, whoa, what? If I said, I lied to my wife, you'd be like, hey, I know. It's in the same list, guys. <laughs> All right. Sidebar's done. And it says... Though anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, remember we said this is healthy teaching, okay? Why is this so contrary? Because it opposes healthy teaching. It's almost an enemy of it. These sins are not just something that people make mistakes on, but they are literally fighting against the teachings of the Lord. They are literally in opposition, like an enemy saying, how dare you, we're going to do this you're wrong. It is not just like, well, you know, sometimes I mess up. These sins are contrary and oppose healthy teaching from the Lord. And that's why it's not good for us to be a part of these things. I want to show you a story in the Bible where I see some of this is played out. Turn into Luke chapter 13. I want to bring a little bit here of, of the law and people's attitudes and motives towards it. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 19. 
Now he, that was Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, think of it for 18 years to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Okay, this is kind of like this idea of law versus grace. Okay, when you have this mindset that the law is going to make you better instead of the Lord Jesus, it's a problem. And again, these gross sins that we just kind of talked about, they are fighting against some of that idea. You don't need the gospel. You don't need to be saved. You do what you want. How dare someone tell you you might need a savior? That's what it's saying. How dare someone might tell you you need a savior? You're okay by yourself. Okay, so in this story, there's a few things I want to quickly go through. Number one, it was interesting. She didn't do anything to be made well. Jesus called her. She came forward, just like we've called. He laid his hands on her, healed. Okay, which, by the way, is kind of an interesting thing about salvation for those of you who want to do deep theology. God calls everyone, yes, but she did have to walk forward. There is an action to your faith. Okay, but she comes forward, he heals her, she didn't do anything but go forward. Okay, the Pharisee looked at someone getting healed of 18 years and wants to talk about, well, just do it on the other six days and we'll be fine. If you could have just healed her the other six days, today's the Sabbath, there's a problem. Okay, here's what he's basically saying. In order to to be healed or be saved, you really need to have that law be the one fixing you, not the God-man who's standing in front of you. I want you to, again, I have said this a hundred times because there are so many stories like this in the Bible that just, I get excited every single time. I'm not used to it. Picturing in my mind a lady bent over who's been like this for 18 years. She's healed. She's standing up. When she's glorifying God, she's probably going crazy. She's probably doing some dancing. I'm going to imagine she's doing some hallelujahs, if that's what they said. Okay? She, I, I guarantee it's glorified imagination. She could care less what anyone thinks of her at this moment either. She is doing her thing, rejoicing. She's standing up. And in this scene, there's someone that's going to say, oh, it's a Sabbath. You should have done it Monday or whatever it is, Sunday through Friday for the Jewish people. R really? That's where you're at right now? Like you are physically seeing this lady healed. And you're worried about the law. You see how much we as humans want to make it still about what we do for our own healing. What we can do for our own healing. And God is right in front of this ruler of the synagogue. The God man, the one he's supposed to be, is right here healing. And he's, he's just going to miss it. He's going to miss it. Mm. Hypocritical. 
Someone said, it was interesting, if this, if this guy had the exact same sickness and Jesus wanted to heal him, would he have waited till the next day? Might, it might be where the word some of that hypocrite comes from. <laughs> like if Jesus is sitting there going, I'll heal you today, but only today. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. Is he going to go, okay, don't worry about it then. Doubtful. Doubtful. Okay? There was a ponus when it says there in verse 17, when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. That word adversary there is related to the word we're talking about in 1 Timothy, where it says those who would oppose sound doctrine. It is literally people against this kind of thing. Okay? How could this not be good for this woman to be healed? Okay? And again, that's what we talk about when it comes to doctrine, healthy teaching. We want this book to heal you, to make your life good, to give you peace and joy in the things you've been promised as a believer in the Lord Jesus. It's all right here for you if you uphold to the healthy teaching that it might go well with you. Okay? There are opponents, like we said. There are those who are opposing people getting healed. That's what sins do. They oppose the healing process for us to be restored. Let me tell you something again. People don't do this the right way. I understand all that. But if someone really is trying to guard you from, hey, this sin might be affecting you, hopefully it's done in this way, but it should be regardless. People are trying to say, hey, you can be freed from this. You can be healed. You don't have to be addicted anymore. You don't have to live in a relationship like this. You can actually have healthy relationships. You can actually have a life where you're happy to get up in the morning. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, you can have that stuff. But don't let the law stop you from that or these rules or other people opposing that stuff. That stuff is promised to the believer. But it's up to you to kind of take it by the reins. And that's why we said as I'm building up here, that's what Paul is saying this stuff. Don't. Don't over, you know, make this difficult. Everything's right there for the believer now. Jesus Christ come, he did all the work. He wants to come into your life. If we just submit to him, my goodness, you might have suffering on that, but you will have also this peace, joy, love. You'll have purpose. You'll have eternal security that even when things aren't good down here, one day you get heaven forever. That's all for the believer. That's all there. Don't throw that away. Don't throw that away or start to try to say somehow we can earn some more favor. The ultimate reason why the healing takes place, and we're going to talk a little bit again, but here it's in the story as well, okay, is not just so you get healed. There is another piece that goes past you. It says there in verse 17, all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Do you know why God wants to heal you? Yes, because he loves you. Absolutely, because he wants it well for you. Great. He also wants everyone else to look at you and go, see, God changed him. And if God can change them, maybe there's hope for me. And we get into this a little bit here with the Apostle Paul. Okay? Because here's my question. If he lists all these things, it is very bold. If you were reading this, a letter from Timothy, from Paul. And Timothy's got to go set some of these things in order here in Ephesus. Look at 1 Timothy 1, verse 11. 
Okay, well, I'll start a little before. Again, if there's anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, that word contrary, again, they're, they're opposing this healthy teaching by doing these sins according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, think about this. If you're worried about your credentials, okay, Paul here is saying this gospel, this message was entrusted to me. Ooh, okay, Paul. What's your credentials? I mean, if you're going to be the guy that God picked to go out and really do a crazy thing here to the Gentiles and and bring the Gentiles into this Judaism, what's your credentials? Well, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Oh, and by the way, when Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, I am chief. Well, that doesn't seem right either. Did God pick the wrong one? Right? This is a whole mindset, guys, that somehow we're talking about. We talk about church in general. I want us to remember who is the big dude here. Paul. Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent men. Now, again, he might have had his heart in the right spot and he was wrong. He said he did it ignorantly in unbelief. It wouldn't fly with me. I'd be like, I don't care. Just to let you know. You know what I mean? If Paul killed some of my family and suddenly he got saved, I would not want to hear a message from him. I'm telling you that right now. Great. I know that. I know we're supposed to be merciful. I know we're supposed to forgive. I know all of that. Paul kills my family and comes preaching on Branford Sunday. I'm going to have a problem. I'm not going to be right, but I'm going to have a problem. Okay? And so think about this. This is so interesting. He just talked about a length of sins that are pretty bad, and then he calls himself the chief sinner. Is he being hypocritical? Just how bad was this? Okay, just not to give Paul a, a bad rep, okay? But in Acts 26, 11, Right? Paul explained to Agrippa that it might have been his worst sin. It says this, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He compelled others to blaspheme Jesus. This indeed was a very horrible part of Saul's sinfulness. To destroy their bodies was bad enough, but to destroy their souls too, to compel them to blaspheme, to speak evil of that name which they confessed to be their joy and their hope. Surely that was the worst form that even persecution could assume. He forced them under torture to abjure the Christ whom their hearts loved. Wow. We don't really like to think about it, but Paul did some really bad stuff. Really, really nasty stuff. Okay, so he's sitting there saying, yeah, I'm the chief. Okay. What is the reason Paul's okay? (laughs) Why can we say that it's okay for him? How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me... First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should thereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Now I want to take a zoom out a little bit and see how God orchestrates this. I'm going to start a church. 
I've been building toward this. I had my special people. It's always been part of the plan, but now it's to fruition. I'm going to build for myself a church. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, regardless of gender, regardless of past sins, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of their own theology. They call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and they will be saved. And I'm going to build my church. And now let me see who I want sometimes to be one of the point guys to really start this thing out. Do I want the guy that's never really messed up, that knows every single ounce of the Scripture, which Paul did, by the way. He knew Scripture in and out. But it's interesting that Paul would even come to the understanding, look, if what I did, God can still use me, and not in a little way, not maybe preach once or twice a year. I don't know why I'm really using an example, but I don't know. I'm just thinking, okay? This is a guy that did a lot. He's responsible for writing some scripture here. He, he was the one that God said, you're going to give this gospel out to the Gentiles. That's who he picked. Why would God do that? I want to show you the heart of God, which he says right here, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. If God can be that patient with Paul, someone who persecuted and killed and made them blaspheme and went after them, like they were running away and he, and he tracked them down. He tracked them down like an animal to kill and to persecute and destroy. If Paul can, if God can use that guy, then he can obviously use anyone in the church. I don't think your sin record is as bad as him. Maybe it is. The point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is someone wanting to glorify the Lord. And that's where we get to this, okay? In this conversation, Paul is sitting there saying, listen, I can show you all my sins, and I can still very firmly claim you should not be a part of these sins. I don't have to worry about what I've done in the past. I've done that. Here it is. And I can still with very much confidence say you should not be a liar, a sexual deviant, or a murderer. Why can I do that? Because it's all about God and his glory, and it actually has nothing to do with me. And that's the difference. When people are under the law, somehow it's still about them. And when we come to how do we gather here in the church of God, and how does God want it to happen, and and how kind of, what kind of teaching should be done with the Pope and all this? It's not about an individual. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about how does God get glorified in this? That's what it's about. And so Paul can sit here very easily and say, I am the chief sinner and I still want to tell you don't do that. Why can I do that? Because I'm trying to glorify the one who saved me. And that's what he told me to say. If we look down here again, Okay, in that in verse 11, which was um, according to the glorious gospel, don't be a part of these things that we might bring God glory, glory. Again, does your sin matter? Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live 
a new life. New life. How do we view sin in the house of the Lord? If this whole book's about it, how do we know? We believe that sound doctrine is for our health while sin leads to death. That's what we're going to preach. That's what we're going to say. Hey, guys, it's not about you trying not to be a sinner or trying to have uh, some kind of get up on the scale. We're all sinners. Okay, that's the baseline. We've all been saved. The way God looks at you, if you're personally saved, you're righteous right now. So now what happens if you sin? Well, hey, man, let me, let me talk to you. you, you your sin is going to lead you to death and separation. Either with people here down on earth, it's going to hurt your relationship with the Lord, might hurt yourself. You don't want that, man. You're a child of the king. You want the healthy teaching. That's what you want. That's what you need. Do we care more about God's glory than trying to justify our sins? My sin wasn't that bad. God understands. Or my sin was so horrible, I can't talk at all about God. He understands. Do you care more about God's glory than your own sins even? Okay? Paul used his past to point out God's abundant grace, mercy, and patience. Okay? It says here in 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Then go down to 16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. You understand? He's saying, listen, I have sinned, but let me tell you about my sin. It made God, it made me see how patient he is, how gracious he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is. And so that's what we should be kind of talking about when it comes to our sins, by the way. Okay, have you ever heard someone in testimony time? Like, I don't want to give my testimony because I don't really want to, I don't want to glorify my sins. Great, I get that. Okay, let me tell you how I feel like how that's balanced. Okay, if I'm telling you about my sins and I was saved out of the KKK, I don't know, that's a weird one to pick. Okay, I don't have to ignore my past. But if in my 20-minute testimony, all I talk about is the KKK, and at the very end I go, but God saved me, I glorified my sins. Does that make sense? I talked about the KKK. But if the whole time I'm talking about, yeah, I was a KKK, but listen, God showed his mercy to me. Let me show you how merciful he was. This is what I did to this person and this person. But listen, God loved me, and, and he actually wants to be with me. And you keep talking about the Lord instead. That's what we're supposed to do. You don't have to worry about your past. It's over. It's forgotten with. If there's anything, though, you can give God glory for it. I have said again and again, I love certain people where they have just been talking to me. I mean, guys and women that I look up to spiritually. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was digging to heroin, I couldn't believe how God just kind of took me out. He was so powerful. And then he just kind of used me and he just keeps going. And I'm like, can we go back to the heroin part? I didn't know that about you. When you say like addicted, like I, what are you talking about? Right? And again, that's probably, that's probably a problem. I should be more worried about what he's saying about the Lord. But for, for me, I was like, I'm sorry. Can we, can we rewind that track again? Okay? 
And so the idea here is your past again doesn't matter. And Paul considers him the chief sinner. But guess what? This should show you how good God is. This should show you how forgiving he is. My life can be the example to say, yes, he does restore. Yes, he does forgive. Yes, he loves. Yes, he's gracious. Look at all the things he gave me, even though I did this. And when someone does that, it's very quickly about the Lord instead of your sin. So if you got to talk about your sin, I really don't care. I want to hear about what the Lord is doing for you. And that's what I want to tell you about me, what the Lord has done for me. And if for some reason the sin makes it look how much more merciful he is, sure, I'll talk about it. Sure. But I think it's so interesting that here's a guy going against this law and trying to have people reach a standard. And he's saying, I'm the chief sinner. But guess what? God wanted to use me to show this next age of the church how long-suffering he is. And when we can talk about what God does for us, we're in a good place, guys. We're in a good place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are long-suffering. Lord, you are so patient with us. And uh, we would confess it's, it's hard to be patient with each other sometimes. But I like when you're patient with me. I appreciate your mercy and grace and I love that you love me. Lord, as we, uh, again, go through this, um, even these lists of sins, we pray that we would be a people that really uh, are not opposed to your healthy teachings, that it might go well with us, that we would really see uh, ourselves even how you see us as those loved by you. And you, again, we are so grateful that you want us to be more successful at this faith journey than anyone else. Thank you so much for being behind us and cheering us on. Thank you so much that you want to give us success. And uh, Lord, we would again pray that you would help us, help us in this, that we might uh, be a people that are pleasing to you and that we would worry about making you look good instead of worrying about how we look. Help us to, to change that balance. In your name, amen.